we have been in the book of Hebrews. We've been hammering the book of Hebrews. We've been looking at the superiority of Jesus. But something odd happened this week. I was besieged this week by a lot of different things. Now, I read out of Oswald Chambers, uh, his morning devotion. It's a, it's a journal devotion. So you have to read the Word of God, and then you have to journal your thoughts beside it. And every time I kept reading this week, it was not about Jesus. It was about Jesus, but it wasn't about Jesus as the superior person, Jesus as the Messiah. It was a different thing. And then on, th yeah, so on Wednesday, I went to my daughter's school, and I always see one of the other fathers there. He carries his kid's instrument to the band room when I carry Nicole's instrument to the band room. And I always see John. I say, hey, John, how's it going? He said, good, Pastor, how you doing? I said, I'm doing really good. He said, Pastor, can I stop you for a minute? I said, sure. And I don't mind him calling me that because that's the only way anybody knows me. And he said, Pastor, what do you do if? Now, he gave me a situation that's happening in his church. And it was, it was a desperate situation. He said, we are faced with a situation in our church that perplexes me. He says, we have a choice to do one of two things. He said, we can look in or look out. I said, John, what are you talking about? This really happened. I mean, I was, I was nearly half an hour late leaving my daughter's school because this guy couldn't talk to his own pastor, but he could talk to me. He said, we are faced with becoming a church that looks into meeting the needs of our own people, or we are a church that's going to be focused on reaching out and doing evangelism. I said, what are you talking about? I don't understand. He says, we are focused on our small groups. He said, we have church on Sunday, we have Sunday school on Sunday, we have small groups all during the week, and then we have specific ministry groups. He said, I spend so much time with my own people, talking to my own people, about my own people, we never go out to reach anybody else in our community. I said, I see your problem. I said, I see your problem. I said, you're facing a situation that every church faces. Now, their church happens to have a couple thousand members. They're a big church here in the area. So there's no need for you to know who they are or where they are. That's not important. This is what's important. The situation faces all of us at some point or another. Are we going to be obedient to Jesus? I took these different Bible studies that I was looking at, and I looked at what Oswald Chambers was saying, and I, I looked at my conversation with John about his church, and I said, Lord, I can't do Hebrews this week. And the Lord said, yeah, it's about time you realize that. So I switched up. Today we're in the book of Luke. Go to the book of Luke today. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to start. I've called this, let down your nets. Now, those of you who are old-time church members, you already know the passage. You already know the story. You already know the point. So don't feel like you can go to sleep. Because today you're going to have to take this passage, and you're going to have to ask yourself the question, have I let down my nets? So let down your nets today. Luke 5, verses 1 through 3, we trust in the easy things. And the easy things in life are watching and helping. So we trust in the easy things. Now look at the Word of God today. Here it is, Luke 5, 1 through 3. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's Word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. Now for those of you who don't know, Lake Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. It's the same thing. It just so happens if you're up in the area of the Gerasenes, they call it Lake Gennesaret. So they were pressing in by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats on the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, whom we know as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. 
Well, amen. Let's consider the situation. Simon Peter is related to who? Andrew, right? Okay, now they've been out fishing all night long, right? Now, how many of you guys are fishermen? Okay, fishermen, right? I grew up on a lake in Michigan. My idea of fish was perch and bass and bullheads. That's what we had in the lake. My daddy taught me one thing about fishing. If you wake up in the morning to go fishing and the sun's up, you're too late. Daddy would get you up at the crack of nothing. You had to be up, dressed, shove the cereal down your neck, and you had to be in the car headed to the lake before the sun got just over the trees because you wanted to be in the boat and on the lake right as the sun was coming up because that's when you catch fish. That's when you catch fish. And we would row out there and we'd spend, oh, two, three, four hours fishing in the shade along the, along the shoreline where the trees shade the water. We knew where the perch and the bass were. We knew where the bullheads were. They were up against the, the reeds in the side. Now, here's the thing. About 10 o'clock in the morning, Dad said, that's it, boys. Let's go. We're done. Dad, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, son, the fish have already eaten. They're sleeping. Okay. So we would go back and take the boat home and get on to lunch. If you're going to catch fish, you've got to go when fish are eating. That's in the middle of the night when it's dark and cool. Any of y'all like to watch the History Channel? There's this, there's, there's this thing called hillbilly hand fishing. That's my people. Yes. Okay. They go down there and catch them catfish with their hands. If you want to catch a catfish, this is the truth. Now, this is true. If you've never done it, this is the truth. They sit in the cracks back up under the shore where it's dark and cold. That's where they stay. They're not going to be out in the middle of the lake where it's hot. That's uncomfortable for a fish. So they get back up under there where it's dark and cold. Now, that's what Simon had been doing all night long. They had fished. You know how we know they're done? It says in verse 2, they were washing their nets. Now, after you, after you drag nets all night and you're, you're fishing out there, you have to take your nets back. You have to do two things. One, you got to wash them out because all that junk gets stuck in there, you know? And it takes a long time to wash your nets out because then you got to fix your nets. you got to sew up the tears where you're dragging it across the bottom and you catch on a snag and you tear up some of the net. Well, here's the thing about that. By the time you have fished all night and you have gone back and you have washed your nets and you have fixed your nets, what are you? Tired. How many of you guys finish 12 or 13-hour day, come home, and you want to go run a marathon? I don't think so. Ladies, you ever, you ever work two 12-hour shifts back-to-back? Are you in a good mood after that? No, you're in a bad mood. You are tired. Simon was tired. But what did Jesus ask him to do? It says the crowd pressed in on him, so he just jumped into one of these boats. And he looks over, and he knows who owns the boats. Because right there's Simon. He says, this boat had a lot of Simon. He says, ask him to put out a little ways from the land. Why did he do that? He needed a little distance. Because they were pushing in, pushing in to where he couldn't work. He couldn't speak because they were shutting him off. So by coming out a little bit on the water, you know, if you're on the water, sound carries, right? That's why you have to be quiet when you fish. Don't go fishing with me now. I talk too much. The fish can hear me, you know, 200 miles away. But if you go out there and you're quiet, you know, fish can't hear you. Well, Jesus went out and he spoke to the crowds. It was easy for Simon Peter, even though he was tired, <coughs> to push out a little bit from the shore. All he had to do was stop and watch. How many of us are comfortable doing the things that are easy? 
How hard is it to get up on Sunday morning and be here by 10.30? Not that hard, right? Not that hard to be here by 10.30 on a Sunday. Now, for some of you who are vampires by nature, you don't wake up till 1 o'clock in the afternoon anyways. So it might be a little rough for you. My friend was a college minister. He originally had his service at 9 o'clock in the morning. The kids said no. He moved his service to 11 o'clock. They still didn't come. He moved his service to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what they said? Can you start at 3? You know what would happen if you start the service at 3 o'clock? They would say, can you start at 4? Because if you're not committed to just showing up, that says a lot right there. See, we are all very eager to do the easy things. We come and we sit and we listen. We go to Bible study and we eat. We go do the things that are very, very simple. We just took up the offering for today. That's not too hard. You reach in your pocket, you pull out your wad of bills, and however many ones you got, that's what you give to the Lord, right? That's the simplest way of doing it. I got three ones. That works good. Okay, that's an easy thing to do. That's simple. But now look at this. The story goes on. You see in Luke 5, 4 through 7, you see, we hesitate in the harder things because Jesus is about to push up the ante just a little bit. The harder things are faith and action. Remember, faith means that you believe in something so much that you bank your whole life on it. And if you bank your whole life on it, you're going to act according to that. Gentlemen, we believe that our wives love us. And it's a wonderful delusion, isn't it? Hey, y'all awake. That's good. Ladies, you you know your husband's fantastic and wonderful and, and faithful and loving. Amen? All all the men are shaking their heads. Yeah, we are, we are. Okay. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to say that. But if you're going to back that up with action, it's a little bit different. Look at this. Start in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, I love this part. You know, if Jesus was a Baptist, because his cousin was a Baptist, John the Baptist, Baptists don't ever go short sermons. They go long sermons. You know, actually, in the old days, if you preached less than an hour, you would be fired, because they figured you hadn't done your homework. If I preach an hour here, I get fired. Here we go. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. I could see Simon rolling his eyes. He's already worked 12 hours. He spent another couple hours cleaning the nets, repairing the nets. Now he's going to put them out to dry so he can go home and go to bed. Jesus said, wait a minute, Simon. Push out a little bit so I can speak to this crowd. So here we are maybe an hour, maybe two hours later. By this time, it's maybe... 11 o'clock in the morning, good Judean morning. It's, you know, 95 degrees down by the lake. Can you imagine how tired Simon is sitting in the boat just waiting on Jesus? He says, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. They came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. Amazing. What would have happened if Simon Peter said, no? No, Lord, I'm tired. I worked all night. I I, I stuck around. I, I put my boat out. I've kept you out here for an hour or two hours, and you talk to the crowds. I want to go home. It's me time. I'm off the clock. Don't ask me for anything more, Lord. I'm tired. 
In fact, I'm going to have to go out fishing again tonight. If I don't go home, I'm not going to get any breakfast. I'm not going to get any rest. What would have happened if Simon had only looked at the physical inconvenience, at the challenge of putting faith to action? What would have happened? Well, consider this. Luke 18, 38 says this. Jesus is passing down the road, right? Jesus is going on down the road. And a man calls out, so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those in front of him told him to keep quiet, but he cried, he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he drew near, he asked him, I love this question, the cat's blind, right? It's a blind dude. It's on the side of the road, he's got the begging bowl. Jesus knows he's blind. What do you want me to do for you? That's a pivotal moment in this man's life. He's cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe not half believing that Jesus will stop. Maybe only hoping that Jesus will come to his attention. What happens? What do you want me to do for you? At that moment right there, that man faced a challenge. The same challenge that Simon Peter faced. Do I speak the truth? Do I act on this? Or do I do nothing? The the man could have been frightened. He could have been afraid that Jesus was going to beat him. But what he says, what do you want to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Bang, receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Instantly he could see and began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Here's the thing. All praise was given to God because Jesus healed a blind man because the blind man had the faith to receive the healing. Peter was tired. He was in the boat. He had been there all night. He was stinky. He was smelly. He was hungry. He was tired. But Jesus said, let down your nets for a massive catch. Simon's only two options were Yes, Lord, I believe you, and because I believe you, I will do what you tell me. Or no, Lord, I understand that you're a good person, but I just can't be bothered right now. Can we do this later? In your life, you've got an option. Sister Redora had an option. I got a friend. She's got ovarian cancer. She doesn't know she's dying. What do I do? Most of us at that point become paralyzed because we get so concerned with not hurting their feelings, not scaring them, not seeming like a a crazy person, that we do nothing. Yet you chose to act. You chose to risk calling, risk telling her the truth, risk exposing yourself to insults, exposing yourself to attack, to losing your friend, and because you risked it, she was brought to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Redora didn't save her. The Holy Spirit saved her. You took your place in God's role, in God's plan, and now you can say, I was faithful. I let down my nets. Look at, how big a woman is she? 100 pounds maybe? 90 pounds? Hey, ask any man what a 90-pound fish is worth, man. They hang them on the wall. Them hibbly hand-fishing guys, they're happy with 40 pounds, 50 pounds. Man, 90-pound fish, that's pretty good. Good catch for all that work. Think about it. All that time on your knees, Wayne, praying, 
for a sister that the doctor says wouldn't walk. And what happens? God don't care what the doctor said. God had a plan. You took your part in that plan. You spoke that hope into her life, and she walked out of that hospital because God is good. How many people around us are broken and hurting? How many people around us are drifting, are facing cancer, are facing divorce, are facing all these situations, and all we need to do is speak Jesus into their life? And it's hard. It is not easy to do that. It's hard to do that. Just like here, it was hard for the blind man to cry out for Jesus. Why? Everyone said, shh, shut up, you crazy man. Leave the teacher alone. And what does it say? He cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Please, you're my only hope. What is happening in your life right now where Jesus is your only hope? It's funny. I meet people all the time, just like my friend John that talked to me this week. I said, so, so John, what are you going to do about your church? He says, well, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there, but I don't feel like leaving. I said, are you, are you concerned about growing closer to the Lord? Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to get stronger? I said, this is what you do, John. Go back to your church and sit in the main sanctuary on Sunday morning and pray. He says, what? I said, you say you get nothing out of the service, right? Yeah, that's right. I get nothing out of the service, nothing from the pastor. Good. Then pray that God will do something. You pray for the pastor to preach a better message. You pray for the people to hear a better message, and you pray for the Holy Spirit to be stirred up. The best thing you can do if your pastor is nuts is pray for him, and then take him out to lunch. Pray for him first. Because here's the thing, it starts when our faith takes wings. If we say we have faith, we have to do something about that faith. You know, I've lost a good relationship with one person in my family because I told her the truth about what she was doing. She's into all that Scientology nonsense. I mean, that's insanity. Scientology is crazy. I mean, they believe they're gods. Or they're little floaty gods that go throughout the universe and they settle in people and they become people and they float out of people and they go become gods again. I don't know what else to call that except lunacy. But that's what my sister believes. And I've told her to her face in no uncertain terms what I think about this incredible revelation that she's gotten from L. Ron Hubbard. Did it cost me my relationship with her? Yeah. Would I do it again? In a heartbeat. Why? Because now her response to the gospel is in her hands. It's no longer me that's keeping her back. It's her that's keeping her back. I've told her the truth. I've told her what the word of God says. Now it's up to her to act. Young people, it's hard to speak out for Jesus in the world. It will cost you. It may cost you friends. It may cost you a potential spouse. I've had people ask me questions. Well, can't I marry a person who's not a Christian and then pray for them later? No. Pray for them first, and if they're worth waiting for, wait till Jesus saves them and then marry them. What if I have to wait till I'm 60? <laughs> and you'll have a great life. You have a whole life full of prayer. It could be better than that. I'm telling you the truth. Faith is obedience in the face of common sense. Common sense says don't do it. Faith says you have to act. 
Common sense told the blind man, shut up and let Jesus go. Faith told him, keep crying out. A lesser man, when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, give me some money so I can get surgery. Lord, Lord, uh, give me a better life or, or give me a, a hand up. He said, Lord, I want to see. He says, your faith has healed you. Not your crying out, but your faith in pressing in on me. That's what's healed you. That's what we have to do. What do we need God to do for GGCF? We've expanded our closets. We've opened up our spaces. We have new classrooms. You know what we need to fill those classrooms? New people who want to learn the word of God. So our prayer needs to be, Lord, give us the increase. Give us the fish. Let us cast our nets and draw in the harvest that only you can bring. Peter worked all night. He's a professional fisherman. He knows where to fish. But he could get bubkiss. Why? Maybe God held the fish back just for one night so that Peter would see his own work got him nothing. But at the word of Jesus, he had everything and more than he could take. We got three great churches here in this, in this building. Wouldn't it be great if we overfilled all three churches and we had to have a fourth and a fifth and a sixth? What if we had to open the church seven days a week just to have enough Bible studies, just to have enough prayer meetings, just to have enough space to meet the needs of all the people that come in here? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Yes, it would. Might be scary, but it would be fantastic. Right, let's press on and get to the end of this thing. Luke 5, 8 through 11. We've said that, it, that we trust in the easy things. You know, going to church and going to Bible study and, and those easy things where we just go and we watch. You know, maybe we help a little bit. That's easy. Things that require faith, that require us to speak out, that require us to pray in the face of wisdom. I mean, we, that takes that takes some work. That takes some faith. Finally, in Luke 5, 8 through 11, it says this, we must trust in the hardest things of all, and that is sacrifice and obedience. If you want to be a married person, gentlemen, when you got married, you know, you had to take that little black book, the little black book, throw the numbers in it. Yeah. Okay, I had a phone book, but you had a little book. Okay. You had to burn that thing. You know why? Because once you stick that ring on your finger, honey, there's only one woman for you in the whole universe. Amen? Ooh, I don't believe it. Okay, let's try this again. <laughs> Gentlemen, if you have not already done so, when you got married, take the little black book, or the phone book if you need, burn it, get rid of it. That's a sacrifice that your wife is worthy of. Amen? Amen. How can the women don't say anything? <laughs> Ladies, the same thing. When you marry that incredible guy, okay, there are some sacrifices you have to make. Everyone's picking on my wife today because she flew to Texas to hang out with Karen. Here's the thing. For the first 18 years of our marriage, she didn't go anywhere. She got stuck with this for 18 years. What a blessing. It just so happens that this year, twice, she's had to take off and go. Someone says, aren't you jealous? Aren't you upset? No, I know how to cook. I even did the laundry. It's good. Because she's worth it. She's worth it. If she needs to go, then she needs to go, and that's okay. That's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make because I promise to love, honor. Actually, I didn't promise to obey, but I should have. Love and honor, <laughs> cherish. Hey, kill me. I put a line through that one word, you know? Wait, I'm sorry. I did promise that. She's the one that didn't promise to obey. Okay. That's a different sermon, though. Anyway, let's press on here. It says this, when Simon Peter saw this, 
he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. Sudden revelation for Peter, huh? For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took in. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Y'all got to understand something here. This is amazing. Simon's got his boat, right? Simon and Andrew, they got their boat. They do their thing, right? James and John are a little different situation. You realize that in other scriptures, it says that they left their father with the hired men. You know what that means to a Hebrew person? It means that Zebedee had a lot of money. Zebedee had some cash. Now think about this. You're working for your daddy. He's so rich, he can not only afford a boat for you two to work, he can afford a boat for other men to be paid to work in. That's how rich he is. When Jesus called and said, you'll become fishers of men, they left a sure thing. They had a daddy who was rich, and he had uh, these multiple boats, so they were going to inherit all that. They had a sure, certain future, and he, they left it. They left that behind. Simon had been a fisherman his whole life, most likely. He left behind the only thing that he knew to follow one who had showed him that he knew nothing. Compared to what Jesus showed him in one net, Simon realized he knew nothing about what it was to be a fisherman. But Jesus knew everything. He recognized first that he was a sinful man, and all of us were the same way. When we came to faith in Jesus, the first thing we realized is we're sinners. We have sinned against the holy God. We have been selfish. We've been focused on our own desires, our own needs, our own wants, what's best for me. And Jesus says, you can't be focused on you and focused on me. It has to be about me. You know, we always tell our kids, it's not all about you. The only person you can't say that to is Jesus, because it is all about him. All of eternity, all of history, all of the Bible points to Jesus. It's all about him. And this sacrifice he's asking for is amazing. Now, he's not asking you to give up your job and suddenly become a preacher. Don't do that. If you're not called, you won't make it. I promise you. This, this gig right here, you gotta be, you got to be hand-built and called to do this job. And I give that glory to God because I was a train wreck before I got to this gig. Whatever you do, the focus of your life now, now ladies, this is going to hurt you. This is going to hurt you big. Gentlemen, you have to love the Lord more than your wife. Can't ignore your wife, can't, can't get rid of your wife, you can't leave your wife, but you got to love the Lord more than her. Ladies, this one's easy. you got to love Jesus more than your husband. This one's going to sting, ladies. you got to love the Lord more than your children. you got to love the Lord more than your own mama and your own daddy. There can be nobody living or dead or anything else in your life that is more important than Jesus Christ. James and John left a sure thing. They left money, they left power, they left position, they left, they left a company that they were going to inherit. For what? For a man who said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't own a house. He didn't even have a good RV like most traveling evangelists. He had nothing except for the sandals on his feet. And that's what he promised them. Nothing. He promised them nothing. 
He just said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, catchers of people. Let me ask you, in your life right now, I asked for hands earlier, who was a fisherman who did fishing? Everybody's hands in here should have gone up. You know why? Because whatever you were by birth, whatever you have been by schooling, education, or training, you are all called to be fishermen, or fisherwomen, depending on the gender. You're called as your life occupation to be catching people for the king. That's our job. Our job is to spread our nets, whether we're at school or home, whether we're in the office or we're in the basketball court. No matter where we're at or who we're with, we are called to spread our nets that we might see a harvest for the kingdom, that we might reap that catch that breaks the ship. See, I really, I want us to outgrow this church. I want us to have so many people coming to Jesus, not, not, I don't want anyone to leave other churches. My friend John, I told him, don't come here. I said, you need to go back and fix your church. If God called you there, stay there, get it done. But I'm not into ripping off other people's sheep. You know, I, I don't like that. What I'm about is this. There are millions, can't am I wrong? Millions of lost people in this country, billions of lost people in this world. And we have the freedom to go out there and share with them that Jesus Christ is the answer to their problems. That's what we should be doing. You know, we should have called this the fishermen, the fishing house. That's what we are about. We're about fishing for people. And by having three churches here, three churches that work together, three churches that are radically different, we can reach that many more people for Jesus Christ. Really, I hope the day comes when I have to be here giving a sermon six days a week. I hope that day comes. I would love it. To do nothing but preach all day long to different congregations, different groups, coming in here seeking Jesus. That should be the goal of the church, to fill this place up, to have the doors never locked and the lights never off. Because we have to keep serving the needs of people. See, I'd rather work myself to death than sit around and grow old. Amen? Of course, the rapture's coming first, but that's okay. There's a quote that Oswald Chambers had, and it stuck with me the whole week. This was um, from the 27th, his, his, um, on the 27th. It says, we impoverish his ministry the moment we forget that he is almighty. We impoverish his ministry the moment that we forget he is almighty. I can't fill this church. Can God fill it? Yes. Can God make it so that we never have enough space? Yes. Can God make it so that we have to go plant a dozen churches just to meet the needs of all the people that are coming to Christ? Yes. We can't do any of it. But I'll tell you this, we can impede it. We can say, Lord, we're happy where we are. Lord, I don't have the faith to let down the nets. Lord, I don't have the faith to go beyond what I can see and touch and feel. You see what I'm saying? You can say, I'm too limited. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. Then you stop yourself from being involved in God's harvest. If this church says, you know what? We can only do so much. That's a lie. It is a lie to say we can only do so much. The nets almost broke because Jesus filled them to the place where they almost broke. 
you notice what didn't happen in the story? The nets didn't break. Why? Because God held them together. If this church reaches out, overreaches, extends itself into all peoples of all nationalities, of all backgrounds, of all economic strata, if we go to every single person that we can go to, I don't care if the church is filled up with you know, 20 services a week, we will always have enough to get the job done. If we believe that the same God who said to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, fill the church. How do you want me to bless you? Lord, fill the church. How do you want me to, 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 to prosper GGCF? Do you want to have a beautiful uh, stained glass a building that goes up to the heavens like they got up there in California? Do you want a, a great big giant brick church like they had in Kentucky? Did you see that church? Gorgeous, 100 years old. You know what it is today? Two feet high. It's gone. It's utterly destroyed. But you know what? Every soul in the church was saved. No lives lost. You can destroy a building, you can't destroy the church because the church ain't the building, it's the people. Amen? You see what I'm saying? We are coming to a place in our lives where we have to have the faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And that's not just going to the Philippines, although there's nothing wrong with that. It's starting here around Oberlin Road. Yesterday we found two televisions. I'm going long, but I don't care. We found two televisions stored back here in the children's room. Useless. People would have said, throw them out. You know what we did? We went to the great expense of piling them in my car. We took them down to the battered women's shelter, and the lady almost cried. She was so happy to have them because the women were coming and asking for televisions, and they didn't have any. She said, would you like a tax receipt for this so you can take it off of your taxes? I said, lady, I ain't got time to fill out a tax receipt. I got a church to clean. Whoop-dee-doo. Those TVs were maybe worth 20 bucks now because they're older TVs, the little 13-inchers. They're not worth anything. But here's the thing. To those women who have nothing, it was a gift of love and grace and mercy. And I said, let them know that the church down the road loves them. And if they, if they need us, we're here. You know what? If someday a woman walks in that back door and says, you blessed me with a television, and I came back to find out what kind of people give away televisions. That's going to be worth it. If a woman gets that TV, lifts up her eyes to heaven and says, thank you, Jesus, somebody saw my need, then that's enough. Amen? But if we don't extend, if we don't go beyond ourselves, if we don't reach beyond just taking care of us, we're never going to know what it's like to have the nets almost broken to have the church so full that we can't get out. We have to step forward in faith. So, it's time for hard things. It's time for hard things. One, it is easy to support others as they follow God's will. That's easy. You know, we support a number of small ministries. We send off a, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there. That's easy. That only takes money, and money is replaceable, right? You can get money. That church, that 100-year-old church in Kentucky, within 8 to 10 months, It'll be completely rebuilt, completely replaced, and there'll be a new building there, and they'll start having church again. You can replace things. That's easy. The task grows harder when we have to act on what we believe God's call for our lives is. I believe God's call for GGCF 
is to leave no person behind. You know, my friend's in the military. He's also going to be a ranger. He's going to go jump school. Rangers have a motto, no man left behind, and that includes the dead. We don't even leave a dead friend behind. Our motto in this church should be, nobody is beyond the, gre- beyond the reach and the love and the grace of God. And we are the only way that they're going to hear it. They're not going to only hear it from me. They're going to hear it from you, and they're going to hear it from Ralph, and they're going to hear it from June, and they're going to hear it from Brother Doty. They're going to hear it from every single one of us that there is a God who sees them in their need and is willing to bring them home and heal them and make them right. But if we don't all do it, then some fish is going to get through the net. Don't worry. God's got more fishermen than us out there, amen? Here's the thing, though. If you choose not to get involved, the only person you rip off is yourself because you miss the blessing of being there. You miss the blessing of being involved. Last point is this. When we move beyond our comfort zone, that is where full Christian living is. Christian living is not done here. This is where you get blessed and loved on and built up by hope. And then when you go out that door, that's where the living starts. And when you're living on that edge, if you're living beyond your means, you know, my wife always says it, we, we were insane to go to Montana because our, our salary there was only a few hundred dollars more than our rent. But guess what? We never starved, never went without, always the needs were met, and they were met because people who had a burden on their heart supported us until we got that church up and running. That's how God works, people. You've got to step out in faith. You've got to step out beyond your comfort level. You've got to step out where you can't see where it's going to come from. As our speaker said yesterday, we had a speaker yesterday, he was here He said, you know what? You may think that if you give God the last 50 bucks in your pocket, that you're going to do without. He says, but if God calls you to do it, you're going to have more than you need and then some. Amen? I'm not telling you to give money to the church. I'm not one of these crazy TV evangelic quacks who all they want is your check and your money and your $1,000 of seed money. May they all be punished for what they say. I want you to dig down deep in prayer and ask, God, what do I give? Some can give money, some can give time, some can give talent, some can give ability, some can just get down and pray. And if God calls you to pray, you pray. And don't stop till the Lord lets up, amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Father, I thank you that everything this week pointed me here, everything pointed, Father God, to this message. Father, from the, from the, from the devotions this week to the conversation I had with my friend, Lord, I just ask you to bless right now as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Father God, this Lord's Supper is a dedication. Father, we dedicate ourselves today that we will take up the cross of Jesus Christ and go forward. Lord, you said that as often as we take this bread and take this wine and we remember what you gave, what you sacrificed, that we do this as a testimony to the world that we believe and that we will continue to believe until the day you come back and get us out of here. Father God, may that day be soon. But Father, as we dedicate ourselves, Father God, we search our hearts. Lord, your word has said that every man should search himself and be sure that he is in Christ before he takes that Lord's Supper. Father, each one of us should be sure that we do this out of belief, out of faith. Father, there's no magic. There's no life in the bread. There's no life in the juice. The life is in Jesus Christ. 
Father God, I pray that each of us would search. And Father, if this week, if we have been afraid, Lord, forgive us. Father God, if, if we have been uh, momentarily unhinged and we just couldn't, we couldn't get the gospel out, Lord, forgive us, but strengthen us to do better next time. Father, help us to search down there and to know that at some point in our life, we have recognized our sin. We have confessed that sin to you. We have begged you on bended knees to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to make us your child. Fathers, we prepare ourselves to receive this. We know, Father, that we only commemorate your death. We remember it for the world to see that we believe in you. And that, Father, we will push out into the deep places where there is more danger, where the work is harder, where the nets must go deeper. But, Father God, help us to let down the nets of this church, let down the nets of our families, let down the nets of our lives into the deep water, Lord, trusting for you to bring us the harvest of souls that you have intended for us to reap in these last days. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name.